0: Hi, welcome to season eight, we're on episode five of what we're calling Category Creators. Um, this is where we see companies uh, go into their market, especially when there's a lot of turbulence and they're able to shape their market in, in new ways. So um, with me, of course, is is my dear friends, Tom Spitali and Sean Wellen. We're missing the dog today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's around, he's just not in shot, he's somewhere.
0: All right, All right. Tom, do you want to give some context to what we're thinking here?
1: Yeah, today's episode is,
2: I, I, we still believe this to be category creation. You can decide if you agree, but we think it's an interesting topic. I mean, sometimes what companies do is, uh, is they shift or pivot their messaging and their target markets. And the end result is something very similar to category creation, because what's happening is they end up dealing and messaging and positioning in a way that's completely different from, what, from where they began. And so we're going to talk about a couple of cases today where that happened. And the first one we're going to start with is called Cool Sculpting. Mary, what happened there?
0: Yeah um, well, it's, I, I like this story for a couple of reasons. They really did um, change their business by looking at it, but they were going down a path. Um, cool sculpting is based on the technology of popsicles, where if you, you, know, if you freeze, you know you suck in your, your, your uh, what is it, <laughs> these cheeks, um, and you put a popsicle up to it, over time you get a dimple because you've frozen the fat in that area. So that's this basic technology. It was non-surgical. And they were going to the people that did facelifts and kind of the Beverly Hills types. And their business wasn't growing. It was kind of flat. And so to their credit, they did a lot of research. And as we started to look at um at the segments, there was two things that came out. One at that, you know, customer level, they started to realize that um, in fact, it wasn't people that wanted to go from a size 20 down to a size seven. Um, but rather people that were working out and just couldn't get rid of those last 20 pounds, you know, and they called them love handles. And uh, and then so they they said, OK, we need to ship that. And then even more brilliant is, is that they started looking at stakeholders, the people that serve those customers, because you can't, you know, and, the, and many of our customers line of business, it's actually you're going through a doctor or, some B2B before you get to the consumer, and they kind of missed that part on the first first round. So, they focused a lot on what the needs of the practitioners were. The you know where you would go and get all these procedures done, and they enabled them, similar to how Intel had said, you know, you have to say Intel inside, and we'll support you with all this advertising. Well, these doctors don't know how to market, so they taught them how to be better marketers and gave them all the materials to then market to their customers. So even in Stamford Connecticut, I see a big coal sculpting sign that of course is from California, but they say the local doctor's name it's you know it directs you to their offices to do this coal procedure. So so they built that channel in two ways.
2: Sean and I, first of all, I want to say that Sean and I have no idea what you mean when you use this term love handles, do you, Sean? What is she talking about love handles? We- no
1: idea. I'd like her to explain the uh, the the uh, the the etymology behind that phrase would be a great a great thing for us. <laughs>
2: it's probably worth a whole other podcast. But I think Mary, if you could elaborate a little bit more, I think this kind of category shift or pivot is really, most evident in the advertising shift that cool sculpting went through. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, they called it Goodbye Stubborn Fat. And um, <laughs> there were a couple of ways they did that. The sales reps were pretty creative. In fact, um, uh, several of them were guys. And they would take and use cold sculpting on just half their body so it was a literal side by side comparison where they would go to the doctor's offices and lift up their shirt and show them that on this side you know it was uh it was nice and uh, sculpted and on this side was still that love handle and uh so they demonstrated in real time to these skeptical doctors that you know this technology worked and then they gave them all the they had a very um a, a very appealing deal for them to uh, lease the machines and all of the you know all of the business side of that. But the consumer was good by stubborn fat, and they they had some uh, commercials that weren't so good first, you know, it was everyone taking their clothes off, which wasn't what this target audience needed. So they kind of rescaled that. But um, so that's that was the shift. And they're doing incredibly well now, of course.
2: I mean, if you, if you get a chance to look up the original cool sculpting commercials, it is pretty stark. I mean it is beautiful people taking their clothes off, and this was all done before the shift, and the the, the real target market re- would you know reacted to those commercials by saying, "That's not me. I don't want to take my clothes off for anybody." And so it, they're, they're, you know there's when these kinds of shifts happen um sometimes you have to look at everything you know your position your message in your segmentation so how, how you know how how do you go about like what are some of the tools that are used in a situation like this how does somebody even begin to wonder if they're talking to the the entirely wrong audience or stakeholders what's the clues
0: yeah. Well, I, I think the, um, your business isn't going well, we've got to do something, um, getting a lot of pressure and then to step back and say, well, let's, let's like look at our, our stakeholder map. I mean, it's just that stakeholder map is like, you know, the Rosetta stone. You, it, once you go back to that and you look at it and you go, Oh man, we're kind of missing a big, big, big place here. Um, a lot of companies that we work with, you know, start to, have that aha moment other then you go to the segmentation where you go deeper into a couple of those it's funny those two things kind of just unlock everything you know and um, and we see companies we work with a company that makes molecules and they worked it the other way they were just keep going to manufacturers and they come out with these new technologies uh, like late light stabilizers and and the companies were like, mm, we don't need it now. So they realized that they had to go further down to the parents that you know it was like one was diapers. So they talked to people that actually use diapers to figure out what the new technologies were gonna be. Again, using that stakeholder map um, or you know, automotive industry. Uh instead of going right to that one one stakeholder, they moved down. So it's kind of the opposite of what cool sculpting did was. Some of these other manufacturing, they serve manufacturing companies. They have to unlock it by using the stakeholder map to go further down the chain, if you will.
1: I think sometimes there's also some simple questions you can ask yourself. If whatever your product is, whatever need it serves, whatever outcome it delivers, if you just ask yourself, who could benefit from this? Now, they may have zero knowledge of your existence. They, they may have not been prompted or stimulated to even inquire. But ask yourself, who could benefit from this? And then once you've identified potential candidates, ask yourself, why aren't they benefiting from this? And just those two-step questions can be a great way to broaden that whole stakeholder map. Because sometimes we have a very narrow view of our world. We we understand our products and our processes, and we understand our primary or historical customer, hopefully, but we don't always broaden beyond that. And sometimes it's always worth just having that question: Who else, if there was, if everyone knew about this and it was, it was, it was fully available, whatever the product is, who who would want it, and why aren't they wanting it now? Is it because they've not heard about it? Is it because we're not positioned? Is it because we're not cutting through? Is it misunderstood? There's all sorts of, of of sort of follow-up questions, but I always think that's a good a good um, a sort of really high level strategic thought is, is who could use what I do, but isn't using it and why yeah. that's a lot of answers to that simple question.
2: So you both mentioned the stakeholder map and a lot of our, um, listening audience has experience with it. Um, those of you that don't the influencer map is a diagram that just puts all the potential Stakeholders, no matter how big or small on a single map and evaluates them and their interactions with each other. And one of the interesting things that I find is um, that sometimes, um, you know, somebody who we think has a smaller amount of power in a particular market and is maybe ignored, has like a lot of interaction arrows going in and out to them. In other words, it's a smaller bubble. We think that our key stakeholders are some of the other bigger bubbles or growing bubbles on the map. But if we see a smaller bubble with a lot of arrows going in and out, that's also a clue that maybe if things aren't going well, we're maybe that that particular stakeholder is more important than we've given them credit for. And I think with the case of, of, of cool sculpting, that's probably what happened with the doctors. You know, every, that, that there was, you know, just a, a tremendous amount of, you know, medical thought that maybe went into this. Is this, is this safe? Is this the right thing to do? Is this, um, you know, is there any sound medical basis behind that? And I would imagine that was probably one of the clues to finding that new, that new shift that pivot, um, towards the medical community.
1: a couple of things Tom, on what you said. What one is, uh, when I was an apprentice learning at your very knee, Tom, when you, when you, you saved me from the, uh, the life I was leading and, and brought me into the fold. I remember you saying to me, Sean, you said this tool, the most important thing about the influencer stakeholder map is who are we missing? that's always a big question right that was one of the things Is like the the purpose of it as well as looking for who's important who's growing who's shrinking is also that sort of odd question of who's not on this that should be because if we the biggest mistake you'll make with that tool is missing somebody off isn't it it's missing that opportunity and that's an important part of this and the other thing I was going to mention as as I was listening to your description I thought our knowledge of this tool is such that when you talk about bubbles and arrows, we can clearly visualize what you mean. But there's people listening that probably can't. Have we got a resource or a place on the website people can go and see this tool? I can't remember if we actually have a specific download or something. But if not, we should we should make sure that it's available so people can see this tool because seeing it is half the battle to understanding it.
2: Funny you should ask, Sean, the answer to that question is impactfreepreview.com.
1: Now, can I just say something? That sounds like that was a setup before we recorded this. (laughs) And I'd I'd actually forgotten that we've got that. uh, The the free preview covers that tool. So if anyone doesn't believe in our sincerity, that wasn't a setup. I literally had forgotten about that. But go on. Anyway, carry on with our fiction, please.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to have to work on that the category of memory. (laughs) I know that people are working on Alzheimer's, but maybe we need some other memory uh, categories. I do like the way that you think about a category different, you see a lot of very cool things like wound closure, you know, people that work on wound closure, um, you know, they, after a while, their, their eyes are kind of, you know, twirling in their heads. And then they start to think about wound closure in different ways. How do their customers see it? And, you know, there's actually categories of wound closure and you can own one of those categories within the big category, you know, the same as body sculpting or, or, you know, memory enhancements or <laughs> whatever. So it's uh, it is kind of sometimes. And you, there's so many interesting ways that you can un- unlock your brain to start to go. Let's just have a brainstorming session about our category and how how there are subparts to it that maybe our customers see different than we do, um, yeah. and that will at least start down one of these paths. So.
2: Well, there's a I agree, Mary. and there is uh, another one of our our tools um, that we don't have a free preview for, but we talk a lot about, and I'll describe a little bit that actually is another clue as to why you may need to pivot and it is the ability to compete, which um, is our scorecard tool where you basically, look at your target market's needs and score yourself and your competitors based on how well they're meeting those needs. Now, um, a lot of people, companies fool themselves and, you know, create a score for themselves. That isn't realistic. If you, whatever kind of scorecard tool that you're using, if you're using one, if the, if, if the result doesn't match the reality, if you think you have a high score, and you really aren't having an impact in the, in the market, you've probably kidded yourself, <laughs> you've fooled yourself. But one of the problems might be that you are just positioned against the wrong, going after the wrong stakeholder, or you might find that result where you're saying, wow, you know, we, are, 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 we should be doing better than we are. And you say to yourself, and in fact, we are doing better with some people than with others. That's a clue that you haven't articulated that segment very well yet. That there is some people that you're doing well, are you articulating the segment that is? I mean, have you separated those people out and how those people that are responding well to your offer are different from the ones who aren't? And are you doing everything you can then to find those people, to position specifically to those people? So this is just another, you know, another way or some you you know mind checks or dialogue checks. What's the dialogue like in your company when you're underperforming that may mean that you need to find a different stakeholder or a different segment than you are focused on right now. Yes, no.
1: Yes, I, I'm not. Actually, you know what? Nodding is not very useful on a podcast, is it? Really, I, <laughs> I'm agreeing vigorously with the movement of my head. But yes, I, I agree totally, Tom. Absolutely. I do
0: agree, also. Um, yeah, I think this is this is great. We um, we really hope that um, as you're listening or watching, because you can, if you're listening, you can watch it actually, because we've been recording these. So sometimes you get to see a guest appearance of Sean's dog and Sean nodding. <laughs> Hopefully, not nodding off. Um, no. and <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have all of our, all the things that we reference are on the accidentalmarketer.com. There's tools, there's white papers, there's um, free previews. So uh, we, we always love to hear if you have any comments as well. Thank you very much. Thank you.
2: Thank you.